Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. For all the movie fans out there, the Big Picture Podcast now has its own dedicated Twitter feed, at The Big Pick. Not only will you find the best in Ringer film analysis and the news you need for award season, it's also the exclusive source for all the movie and video-related content you need, from A Star is Born mashups to Sean Fennessy tweeting out GIFs. So make sure you follow at The Big Pick on Twitter. David, this podcast was pre-recorded last week, but what predictions, shocking predictions, could we make right now that would retroactively make us sound incredibly smart? Um, is this Trump's craziest tweet yet? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> well, that's really going out on a limb. I got one. Okay. The Weekly Standard has refashioned <laughs> itself on the web with an achingly earnest name. Gosh. Yeah. I think I'm gonna get that one right. That's really wild. Um, public outcry. The, the 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 weekly public demands the Weekly Standard come back. Is that what you're? Is that the expectation? <laughs> right. Will Ferrell Sherlock Holmes movie underperforms. Uh, we we should invite Chris Matthews on the show so we can do his Donald Trump is going to be forced to resign bit. Oh yeah, uh, for this segment. You want to go? You um, want to go the big one? Donald Trump resigns. That's uh, a, that'd be I, a way out on the limb. I'm not sure that's going to happen this week, um, but who knows? You know, anything could happen. Well, you're on the record, David, and we are the amazing Criswell of Media Podcasts. This is the Press Box, <laughs> part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where if you work for a national publication, you're allowed to pre-record your Christmas episode. We are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of the Ringer. Happy holidays, folks. We are here. David, I don't believe in end-of-the-year wrap-ups. I really don't. No. So I just thought we'd, you know, freestyle it a little bit, hit a few media topics that have bubbled up over 2018. That might sound like a year in review to some, but uh, but I choose to, to believe it's more of a pure approach to this. I really do. Well, I thought we were going to sing holiday carols for the next hour, so this <laughs> well, is all kind of catching me off guard. Well, the 20-minute mark, baby, we might. Um <laughs> Can I say one thing, by the way, and, and I, this is not a subtweet of anybody at the ringer because this is this has happened and it is happening. At some point, I just checked out of the whole top end of your top 10 list thing and no moral problem with it. Anything like that. People, you know, kind of making, you know, putting everything in order. But I just realized I don't care anymore about movie lists, about music lists. But I, I just I just I intensely cared in college and a little bit after. To see what was on those things, yes, and then yeah. I just stopped. Did you? Are you still in on top ten lists? Uh, less and less. I I will frequently refer back to them at the you know in, over the next. I mean, not frequently. I will refer back to them over the next several months, right? When I'm looking for a what do I I'm looking watch for a, tonight? What to watch tonight? Yeah, streaming on TV or on you know when when the Oscar movies start popping up on Netflix or, or HBO or whatever else. Um. You know, there's definitely it's. I'm not too far removed from looking from from checking out, um, like best you know best article, best you know long form journalism of the year roundups, oh, and man. just saving all those to Instapaper just to make sure that I can read those <laughs> on an airplane during my next trip or whatever. You know, that seems like a sort of that's that's still a. I think I still do that uh, if I remember to. But I think just the older you get, the more. This time of year is not one for it, it's not the it's, it's not the time when you have to indulge all of the movies and TV shows and books you haven't gotten to yet. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah. I'd be much more interested in a best and a top ten list come, that came out in March or July 
or August or you know literally any other time than right now. <laughs> remember when we remember when the old days when we used to just kind of go home to our parents around Christmas time and all you'd be doing is catching up on movies. Remember those simpler yeah. times? That was like, yeah. that's kind of an amazing moment in life in retrospect. It seemed like it seemed like kind of boring. You know, you were like, ah, I just gonna watch a movie today or something. That seems like uh, the golden days. The um you mentioned that you mentioned the top the top journalism lists. That may be the thing I am out on the most. And again, it's not, it's not, it's not just a moral, like, oh, how could you put this stuff in order? I at the beginning of this year thought, I want to, I want to see if I can just as a as a as a side gig, what is what's my best sports writing of the year? Like what would it be? Just just mm-hmm. kind of vaguely interested, right? And I thought, you know, I'll just put, you know, I'll just save stuff. And when I, when I see stuff, I'll just kind of throw it in there and kind of, you know, just kind of like figure out what would my, what would my list look like and how different would it inevitably look from the list in the book. And I started to do it for a couple of months. I have like a a word doc here that's like two pages long and I just, I couldn't do it. I just, I mean, I just, I just didn't care. (laughs) <laughs> I just it just wasn't interesting to me. At it's all. not that the quality. It's not that there was so much high quality journalism that you no. couldn't whittle it down. No, I mean I'm, I'm sure if I tried to whittle it down, that would be a problem. But just the exercise was so uninteresting to me. Yeah, utterly uninteresting. That of of trying to pick like what is the best writing of the year. Well, and in some ways, it's like it's there. It's an easier process. I, I mean, not it's it's a. It's, there, there is a simplicity to the process that there hasn't been in years past, right? Because every every website, I mean, can just look on. I mean, every anybody can like look on Chartbeat or whatever and figure out what the big, what the highest traffic stories of the year are, and 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 everybody can certainly tell for their for their own websites what the what got the most engagement and everything else. Uh, there is a robotic aspect to it that makes it a little bit simpler, but that also makes it a little bit more just alien. And part of the beauty of a list should be the character of the list maker. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in, in current year, everybody's, um, you know, nine out of 10 things on any list are going to be the same because everybody starts off by Googling and finding whoever got <laughs> their list out there first. And then, you know, you kind of just like make your, make your personal opinions known throughout on the edges or whatever, on the margins. But, you know. That's what happens, right? The lists have a kind of self-reinforcing quality. Sure. There's that great, great Michael Kinsley line where he said, if you give me three names from the list, I could fill out the other seven names. Without even knowing what the list was for, yeah, right. So if you just told me like uh, Don Van Natta, Michael Mooney, Seth Wickersham, Chris Ballard, I could just name keep start naming things. I wouldn't even know where we were picking. But those are the guys who are always on the list, you know. So I'm just like, oh, well, that's the list. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what this is for, but I can for a journalism award. Is it for something? By the way, you know what? My when I was making this list, and, and I'm going to stick with this now since I'm not since I didn't actually follow through. The most single most amazing. I think peace, and I think it may deval- devalue it by calling it sports writing. But that I, if I if I were to should pick something that just stuck with me, was this piece in the New York Times by Mujib Mashal, and it was about a suicide attack in Afghanistan, and it was about this guy, this wrestler named Waqid Hussein Al Had Al Dad, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And whenever there was a suicide attack in Kabul. He was a big, strong guy, so he would help carry the wounded and the dead away from the scene of the attack. He was just needed because he was a strong guy. And then he finally, in April, he died himself in a suicide attack that killed 
60 people and was unavailable to help carry people away. That was most, that was the single piece of journalism. Again, like I said, it devalues it to call it sports writing, but it was about an athlete. Yeah. And it was just a singularly amazing piece of journalism. And I would love to see any piece of sports writing, even by the name, the list of the people I just named that, that, uh, affected me like that piece did. I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I remember that piece. It was really, it, it, it was really great. I don't even know what the, I mean, honestly, I, I feel terrible. I don't know that I have a favorite piece of sports writing from this year. There's a lot of, a lot of the best ones. I mean, they were just so thoroughly saddening um, that, you know, I get the, it, it, I don't know, that, 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 I, that I leave, you know, sad, <laughs> leave sad instead of leaving, thinking about how great a piece of writing it was. But some of the, some of the greatest stuff I read this year. That that's a good example. Um, what are some other ones? Carrie Howley's Larry Nasser piece I remember was just really fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, just this really like there's there's a lot of heart. What was the one about the the Times Picayune piece about the about the homeless guy? Anyway, yeah, there, that, there's, that was it when I was doing the exercise. That was that's in my doc. That's like the one one of the few things I kept. For where sure. I'm I'm googling this now. Oh, and search for Jackie Wallace by Ted Jackson. That was really really good. The, yep. the, uh, that's another one, though. I, I don't know. Like you, I, I'm, uh, I find myself drawn to this sort of melancholia, but, but I, uh, but I, I get about halfway through, and I'm like, can I just watch an Office rerun, please? You know, <laughs> I need to lift myself back up. <laughs> well, let me lift you back up, David, to, to a happier. Let's do thing. it. This was a year, I think, uh, in terms of the media, when the book was the the kind of event book was a thing. Mm -hmm. We talked about a lot of them on this here podcast. I have a list from, this a couple weeks old, but via Brian Stelter of the top five nonfiction hardcover uh, books of this year, of 2018. Three of them, I'm going to give you a few hints and then let you guess. Three of them are politically related. How many can you name? Uh, two of them are Trump related. How many can you name of the top five hardcover nonfiction books of 2018? It's from BookScan. <laughs> Top five hardcover nonfiction books of this year. Mm -hmm. Three political, two Trump. Oh man. Oh man. I uh, um is is it is not Michael Wolf's book, right? That is number three. At this, oh, at I this thought point, that would have sold one. I thought that would have been out by now. Slightly over one million copies. Um, the Woodward book. At number five, uh, eight hundred seventy-two thousand copies as of this accounting. Um, one is a one is a memoir. You said another one is political, but not uh -huh. but not memoir. We Trump? talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. She may have been she may have been first lady in the Obama administration. I'm gonna give you a few hints. Oh sure, yeah. Becoming <laughs> Michelle Obama's book. That's 1. great. One point one million copies. All it right, just came out. I guess a, I guess a big book. They all sell in the first two weeks anyway. And it was the arena like tour. Now. If just everyone in the arena bought one, it would be be right to number one. You know. Uh, number four on this list, David, might surprise you. Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. I had to look up who she was and what that was. Big fan of that book. 997,000 copies. Wow. Wait, can I guess? Is the, is the other one the Bill Clinton-James Patterson joint? <laughs> that's not nonfiction, but... Uh, oh, yeah, oh that, I thought so it's called President is Missing. I just assumed that it was that it was. You thought that was an actual like White House caper from the 90s? <laughs> no, David. No, it, all right. It's even closer to home than that. Uh with a 1,089,000 copies sold, 
Magnolia Table by Joanna Gaines. Oh my Chip and gosh. Joanna fame. Yes. I almost thought you were going to tell clap. me that Shea Serrano sold a million copies yeah. and I was if about to only, lose my mind. That'd be amazing. I saw Magnolia Table at uh, when I was uh, standing in line buying some last second gifts at Marshall's just yesterday. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> they're, they're moving copies whichever, whichever way they can. I can't wait for this segment on our show next year when they formally launch their new streaming service. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah, I think that would be that may be a whole 45 minutes just on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like who needs who needs cable news when we have just the Chip and Joanna live stream into our brain. In other book news, political memoir news in fact, you remember Chris Christie was sort of interviewing to be Trump's new chief of staff the other day, the most doomed job in Washington. Yeah, what? Turns out that uh, according to the Washington Post Christie's lucrative memoir which is expected to settle some scores, will come out in January. It's finished. Being chief of staff would have complicated that. So apparently he wrote a book and it was actually, it's actually honest. And, you know, he's, he would be fed, he's going to be fed with this huge book tour, right? And he'll go on the Today Show and sure, I'm sure all that kind of stuff. And I guess being chief of staff, no matter how exciting that is, would have been a problem. Yeah. Okay. But who floated his name? Was that that was just a PR thing? No, but it was real. Apparently, the the, the White House people report on the White House said it was real. Like like Trump was Trump was he was not offered the job, but Trump was very interested in him. Actually, this time it wasn't just the like I'm going to lead Chris Christie on and then humiliate him in front of the world, which is the previous treatment of Chris Christie. Huh. By the way, would you like to re- me to read you the title of Chris Christie's memoir? <laughs> yes, please do. Let me finish. <laughs> And with a picture of Chris Christie holding a microphone and making and his, making a pointer finger. Let me finish. Trump, the Kushners, Bannon, New Jersey, and the power of in-your-face politics. I think the last part of that is the part I appreciate the most. We have to like kind of give a name to Chris Christie's style of politics and praise it at the same time. The power <laughs> of in-your-face politics. Holy crap! I'm looking. At, I'm looking at the cover right now. <laughs> Would you describe the, Chris Christie's? This is going to be something. Chris Christie's politics has been have been being particularly powerful over the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm sort of I'm just sort of stupefied by by this, you know, by you calling this a lucrative book. Like, I'm not quite sure how big of a deal. And I just, it's it's kind of been the weird thing be. is like who's going to buy it, right? I mean, it's like it, it's what we talked about last week with the kind of like you know you have to be kind of pro Trump at this point to sell a book. You need to be like Michael Wolf or pro Trump. Being like, I'm a Republican and I have some mixed feelings about Donald Trump seems like a bad place to be. Yeah, I think it's definitely true. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at his at his uh, his <laughs> co-writer right now, Ellis Hennekin. Yeah, who's uh, that? who is a is an AM New York columnist and Fox News contributor. Mm. Um, Could have guessed the last part of that. First part was kind of a surprise. Yeah. He's, it looks like he's got some. He's got a very interesting bibliography here. He's 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 the co-writer on a lot of books, include including How to Catch a Russian Spy, <laughs> okay. and uh, and something called Tuesday's Promise: colon, One Veteran, One Dog, and Their Bold Quest to Change Lives. Oh my God! Uh, oh, also Doc Gooden's memoir. So there we go. Oh wow! Yeah. So it's like Doc Gooden and then the in the Mitch album zone for the second one. Listen, man, cash those checks. I was gonna say these all sound like lucrative books. No, no, he seems like he's doing really well, yeah. In other, not end of year news, but sort of end of career news, how about Paul Ryan? There was this big piece by Ezra Klein and Vox the other day where he was talking about, Klein was kind of saying that he'd been slightly credulous 
in in taking Ryan at his word, you know, that he was this man of ideas. And then everybody mm-hmm. found out he was just a regular politician who really didn't care about many of those ideas at all when he had a chance to actually do stuff. The um it is amazing to me how Paul Ryan hacked the media in a completely different way than Trump, but hacked it all the same. You know, Trump hacked the media in a way like a daytime talk show host would hack the media. Just yeah. like I'm just gonna here's it, I'm gonna throw a chair across the room and see what happens. And you know, Paul Ryan, pre-Trump, went at it in a very different way. But what turned out to be him very like effectively, right? Like I'm going to talk to Ezra Klein, you know, give him an interview with back in the days of Wonk blog, if I remember correctly, uh, I'm going to talk to him about ideas. I'm going to convince everybody that I'm this guy who's not your normal politician who really, really, you know, cares about ideas and, and, you know, has a kind of, you know, it's not. You know, he's coming out of the Bill Clinton era, you yeah. know, George W. Bush too. Like, you know, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna be a guy who's really wants to do things. And, you know, the press corps, the Washington press corps was absolutely ready to pounce on that and buy that. You know, they love that idea. Here's a real, you know, here's a real guy. Here's a real politician. Here's mm-hmm. a thoughtful guy that can show us graphs and, you know, be literate with numbers and stuff like that. And then, you know, here we are. And it didn't happen. You know, he was not that guy and didn't even seem to really have any. It wasn't like it was like, oh, I, di-, you know, I wanted to be this guy and, and failed. It was just sort of like once I got into power, I didn't really care about that at all. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that I mean, listen, in Ezra Klein's defense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Great way to start a sentence. Yeah. I mean, he listened. Uh, I mean, he wasn't the only person that sort of no. took the bait, but and and he was one of the few to to. To you know, admit admit, admit yeah, even at this late it. period that that he was yeah that, that he was wrong to to believe um, uh, this in this kind of persona, but uh, but it is you know I mean he was exact Klein, Ezra Klein was like exactly the right age to get taken by this right I mean and I and I don't that's not I mean he's he's thirty four now he's you know a full grown man and 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 it's not this is no no saying nothing about his age except that he's he just came along at that exact right time when that myth was being constructed and it probably just like you know it seemed it, it did seem like a real thing for a little while you know and um and uh, it, it, by the time that it was clear that it wasn't i think you know paul ryan was sort of saved by the fact that like he was that no matter how unserious he was he was actually more serious or you know seemingly so than the rest of the republicans around him so um you know, it, it, waving around charts and graphs does have its benefits. Yeah. Paul Krugman had an interesting tweet where he says, uh, the Paul Ryan question isn't why he has proved to be a phony. It's why so many commentators took him seriously in the teeth of his obvious fraudulence. I called him out from the beginning, but was dismissed and attacked as being partisan, quote unquote. And I think that gets to something interesting, which it really was this different time in Washington journalism where mm-hmm. there was still that sheen and everlasting hope of bipartisanship yeah. or at least of people who liked each other coming together and you know fighting for their ideals and ryan really understood that that's where the incentives were at that point in history right is to be yeah. that guy you know it's like being being newt gingrich at that point was not was not something that was going to charm the press corps but well, it was also a great Midwestern, you know, straight laced guy who just, I'm just here to have ideas and, you know, we're going to fight about it and be friends tomorrow, you know, kind of thing. And like, that was the way to hack the press corps. Absolutely. It was also a great way to have a national platform without 
without having to commit to any kind of national role, uh, which is, you know, we saw, I think, a little bit of that, the fallout from that when he was so resistant to being speaker when the job was offered to him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, this the stakes for being the smartest guy in the room are super low. You know, you can always throw up your hands and say, like, I had these charts, you know, but, but, uh, <laughs> here's a chart. Yeah. But, but to actually have to, to, you know, stake your reputation. I mean, then we saw what happened when he's actually given a, I mean, and this isn't even a, a necessarily a reflection on Paul Ryan, the man. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a different job responsibility. And he got, um, you know, he got a lot of attention for kind of having that, having that, the, the, you know, this the serious intellectual moniker and 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 no more of the, you know, serious uh, I mean, the, the serious introspection into what that means than anybody else. He was he's got to go down as one of the great victims of Donald Trump. You know, I mean, he's like he's like one B to Hillary. Uh, and just in terms of somebody whose reputation was just flushed. I mean, this is all happening, right? I mean, who, this is setting aside whether or not he's a deserving victim, or you know, whether he set the table no, for that himself. I but. would say he's a, he was a deserving victim anyway, but I, I would say this: the reckoning wouldn't be as sharp yeah. if he hadn't been running interference for Donald Trump. I mean, that's the weird part of this whole journalistic reckoning with him. Is like, do we think this is really happening in the same way if he hadn't been forced to play defense for Trump for two years and look completely ridiculous doing it the whole time? I mean, that's the that's the thing is it's like that it almost took that to flush his his whole bit down the toilet, even though he wasn't really doing it anyway. It's that it's running interference for Trump. And it's also the the seeming. I mean, listen, we've all taken our shots at the various Republicans who have d waited until they announced their retirement to say anything negative about him, about Trump. But um, the way in which Paul Ryan just seems to be totally complacent to just like go take that lobbying job that he's certainly going to take five minutes after he retires that you know and and i mean i think that's that that has a pretty equal share in the in the sort of damaging of the reputation alexandria ocasio-cortez tweets uh double standards are paul ryan being elected at 28 and immediately being given the benefit of his ill-considered policies considered genius and me winning a primary at 28 to immediately be treated with suspicion and scrutinized down to my clothing of being a fraud. So uh, I thought that was interesting, too. I think that there's a distinction going back to what you were saying about the sort of hopefulness of Paul Ryan's career at the beginning is that it's a totally different era. But I but I do think that there's an element to which in which liberals or at least the, the, the Democratic establishment were hopeful that they could find someone to work with in a Paul Ryan, either, you know, they could meet at least on some intellectual ground in the middle. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, has been singularly demonized just because I think more than anything else, because she actually is, is, uh, evidence of excitement and hope on the other side. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that there, I don't think that, um, it's much more complicated than that, but it is an obvious double standard too. Another year in news, I think 2018 will be the year of canceling Facebook. Walt Mossberg, former Wall Street Journal columnist, All Things D, found a co-founder came out yesterday and said some personal news, and it actually was personal news. It was not professional news, you know, which is <laughs> so it's somebody does it's some personal news. I've decided to quit Facebook around the end of the year. I'm doing this after being on Facebook for nearly 12 years because my own values and the policies and actions of Facebook have diverged to the point where I'm no longer comfortable there. Uh, he says he's not trying to urge other people to quit. He just says this is a personal decision about where online I wish to participate. So he's out. And 
that seems to have been something this year, just quitting Facebook. And and uh, we said on Bill's show the other day, it's like, is that Bill said, is that can be the new personal essay instead of why I left New York? It's why I quit Facebook as published on Medium. That'll be sort of just the new journalistic growth that's, industry. That's a fantastic idea. So, so get your essay ready, David. I'm ready. Oh, no, I'm already done. Did and you already I, quit? Uh, yeah, I'm so I was just kind of so exasperated by I and mean, by the time that I quit, it was it was it did was you actually, actually quit? like I'm pretty sure I did. I I, I was trying I was having I was going through this I was going through this 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 is exactly the problem with me writing an essay about it or with anyone you know my skepticism <laughs> of sure anyone who writes an essay not? about it. <laughs> I am yeah. First of all, yes, they already have my data, so it functionally doesn't matter if I quit. I mean, <laughs> in any kind of like pr- like self preservation way. Yeah, but also. But also, it's like I determined to quit before I actually quit, and I think by the time I actually did, I'm not sure if I just like, like, f- like fully like logged off, like downloaded all my shit and fi- and 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 deleted my account, or if I just did the sort of half-assed version of it. I'm not exactly. I have no idea. I don't know if I'm still popping up in people's feeds or anything else. But um, I might have quit but, Facebook as a great essay. Yeah, I might have quit. Fa- that's it. I'm just so exasperated by the whole thing, so exhausted by the whole thing that right now, just like the idea of typing in the Facebook into my browser to find out if I'm still logged in is just exhausting. <laughs> this is the theme. The theme for this episode is how exhausted I am. I'm so exhausted by everything. Uh, it is yeah. It is Christmas Day. Uh, it's a time, good time to be exhausted. The, um, the last thing I'll leave you with, we were talking about the 2020 candidates the other day and all these people oh, yeah. sort of, you know, angling to, uh, to, to get themselves in position to run for president. I would, this, this has got to be the most amusing one. Uh, not for president, but running for anything, which is CNN president Jeff Zucker gave an interview to David Axelrod on his podcast the other day, The Axe Files. Mm-hmm. Good, good title. Zucker said, I still harbor somewhere in my gut that I'm very, I'm still very interested in politics. Um, he apparently turned down an opportunity to work for Al Gore in 2000. Uh, he has talked about running for office. I'm still interested in that, Zucker said. And that's something I'd consider. So Jeff Zucker, not ruling it out. Not really how to run for office. This is this 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 is this may be Avenatti level. Awesome. Oh my gosh. I mean, like what what? Oh my god. Yeah, no, that's it's just crazy. I mean, I guess this is this is the time of year for people to go out there just to just to put out the flyer, right? Just to see what kind of reaction that you get. Yeah. Some personal news. I thought this was gonna be a David Axelrod segment, and I was just gonna then I was ready to I was ready to uh to go on like a blistering tirade about how political consultants are only good once, but but yeah, no, I mean, I think if he, it's, this if, he can, if he can manage Zucker's campaign and lead him to victory, then he will, David Axelrod will, will, will go up a few notches in my rankings. That's so bad. Did you, did you enjoy Andrew Cuomo seceding New York from the, from the United States of America yeah. just for, for the sake of, of scoring some, uh, some, some democratic primary points? <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was kind of amazing. He, he, he's a great, like I said, we said on the pod the other day, every political journalist is rooting for more people to run for president. I mean, that is just, that is the single, that is the single best thing that could happen to anybody. Yeah. They have no audience. Like some of these people have no constituency other than people that work for the media. That is yeah. it. Right. That's totally, that, that's really true. And I think that the, I think that you, you know, if you talk to some people in, in uh, the RNC or just Republicans in general, you'd, you'd, they, you'd probably hear him say that that was the, what led to Trump, being nominated and that in, in it's in, you know, worst case scenario, it can be a really bad thing because with so many people, it's like whoever yells the loudest gets the most attention. 
and uh, yeah, and, you know, it'll be it'll be. Cer- I mean, there's certainly some platform points that Democrats could be yelling about that would be very worth giving voice to. But, yeah, but we'll we'll have. But to it's see. full employment for journalists. I mean, like it's like the two things that are going to carry journalists. Like it's a horrible time for for digital media. But the two things that will carry us into 2019 are complaining about the college football playoff, the structure of the college football playoff, and who's running for president. I mean, that's 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 all we got at this point. All right, that is the. <laughs> Christmas Day edition of the Press Box. We're off next week, and then we're back in early January, by which time 19 people will probably be running for president. We'll have plenty to talk about. Happy holidays to everyone. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, Jim Cunningham's our producer. Chris Almeida helps with research. David Shoemaker, happy holidays to you, my friend. I'll see you in 2019. Happy holidays, man. Remember when we remember when in the old days we used to just kind of go home to our parents waving around charts and graphs let me finish um, remember when in the old days we used to just kind of go home to our parents mm-hmm. around Christmas time and all you'd be doing is immediately be treated with suspicion and scrutinized down to my clothing of being a fraud March or July what what or August or you know I just realized I don't care anymore that's totally that, that's really true and I think that the I think that let the, me finish um, in other not end of year news but sort of end of career news did you already quit yeah I'm so I was just kind of so exasperated by and by the time that I quit it was it was it was after oh like God. did you actually quit I'm pretty sure I did wow <laughs> I think the last part of that is the part I appreciate the most mm-hmm 